research is very much oriented in the Western world. And so has my podcast been as well so far. I wanted to break that. And for this episode, we are situating ourselves in the global south, more precisely in the Middle East. I'm meeting with Zoe Hurley. She's a teacher at an all-female university in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. For her research, she looks into the post-digital era. Yeah, don't worry, she'll explain that later. She doesn't buy the promises of how technology is supposed to make our lives so much better. That's why she even has written a paper called Why I No Longer Believe Social Media Is Cool. In a time when, and I quote her, every avocado toast is an opportunity for posting content and monetize on that, she is looking into social media. She wants to shed light on what part it plays in the world we live in. Hurley's interest for the study we will discuss today was born from interaction with her students. She learned about these hugely popular Arab women who are influencers on Instagram. After four years of collecting data, she had nearly 25,000 images that had been posted by these women. What she did then was a semiotic analysis, which means she looked at the meaning of what's depicted in these images. Her study is a look into the lives of these five women who use Instagram as a key political platform. This is Keywords, a podcast about research that's out there but doesn't get enough attention. Hello Zoe and welcome. How are you? I'm good, thank you Rasmus. How are you doing? So I thought to begin with something central to your research. You talk a lot about uh, a post-digital society. Are we really living in that era now? So I think that the, the, the key things about a post-digital perspective would be firstly that um, it refers to the intersection of offline and online living. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, when people started writing about the, the, the web and the, the vir you know, virtual worlds, there was this idea that somehow being online was not real. It, mm. You know, it was, the, it was the virtual, it was a sealed off space. Mm -hmm. Whereas from a post-digital perspective, things that we do online are as significant as things that we do offline yeah. and you you they're, they're entangled and everybody using the internet or social media is embodied in a particular space and context yeah. so they are um affected by all of these mm -hmm. these things mm -hmm. then i mean i guess this the the prefix of post is an interesting one and there, there are like lots of different connotations with post-structuralism, mm -hmm. with post-feminism, and each of them means something slightly different. But the yeah. post-digital framework is critically orientated and it's concerned with social justice issues. Mm -hmm. It's concerned 
with the in environment and it's I guess concerned with going beyond a, a kind of normative perspective yes. of, of the post-digital realm and mm. it's, it's also interested in the kind of the uncanny and the the strange feelings mm. and the tensions mm. and the things that we can't always articulate I think it's it's interested in those spaces yeah yeah Exactly, and and uh, and that's what we need. I think researchers can can help us uh, imagine like a different uh, reality that we just found ourselves in, and uh, like it just feels that we need a break and to think of like what got us here. I am very fascinated by this this critical perspective. So I wanted to ask you, like first time I'm talking with uh, research that's done outside Europe and you're working now from the global south and uh, it has different meanings but uh, how would you characterize the global south? So my definitions of the global south are coming out of the obviously the reading that, that I've done and so like you say there are various different definitions and for me it's not purely just a geographical location mm. so it's also a critical perspective um, that is attempting to move away from the idea that the west is the kind of center of of knowledge mm. and i think for me as somebody who has lived in global south countries in asia and in the middle east mm. for nearly 28 years so i've become increasingly aware that whenever I read something, if it's written from a Western perspective, there's this universalism. Mm -hmm. So it's just assumed that the Western perspective is global. Yeah. However, if you, you know, having lived in Malaysia, in, in, in the UAE, there's another, you know, the, the global South context is significant and mm -hmm. people are not necessarily looking to Western countries. Indonesian women and Malaysian women are, are not necessarily looking at people like Kim Kardashian in America. Yeah. Their role models might be influencers in, in Dubai or in Saudi Arabia. And there, there are a whole other ways of being and there are different forms of subjectivity. Yeah. And, in, you know, increasingly people don't necessarily want to go to Western countries and mm. they're not necessarily looking at Western feminism, for example, mm. as uh, as necessarily being right for women everywhere. It's, it's interesting now that you are then centering Instagram, which is a very like Western produced uh, artifact originally in this in a global South environment. Why did you set up for Instagram? So in Dubai, Instagram in the Middle East, their their headquarters are here. Mm. So they're actually in in this city, and like yeah, certainly you know Instagram is owned by Facebook, and you know it, it's coming out of um, America. Mm. But be, because of the way that the, the Web two O has these you know very affordable and accessible sharing templates, Instagram in this context you know that people are not necessarily looking to what uh, people in the west are doing on social media it's very much localized mm. but and perhaps global but global in a global south perspective right yeah. so i mean i don't i don't think people here would would feel like instagram belongs to them 
mm. and that they're shaping it. And so personally, I, you know, I started using Instagram and I, my students were just so completely saturated in it. I mean, I have looked at Snapchat mm -hmm. and I have looked at TikTok, but I'm, I guess, the wrong demographic. Whereas with Instagram, because I've been on it myself personally and yeah. seen and observed other people that I know, I had more connection. And for influencers in, in this region, Instagram would still be the gold standard in terms of the, the most important platform. And it's the most important platform for commerce, mm -hmm. for entertainment, for leisure, for communication. So I'm obviously interested in other forms of social media and it's not the app itself that interests me. It's what people are doing, but Instagram is still, it's still very significant and, and significant politically. Yes. And uh, you also write that actually a lot of research has been focused on Facebook and Twitter, but now as Instagram is fairly new in, in, in the way it is used globally now, it's, we are just starting to get more research on how it works and how people are on the platform. Right. Yeah, so yeah, you are I mean, like one of the first anyway, doing this kind of like a very extensive study. So, and I mean, and I have to admit when I first started doing my PhD and I told people I'm focusing on Instagram, lots of people fell about laughing hmm. and they're like, what are you going to do? Like selfie your way to a, a PhD. Um, and but then obviously now so much has happened in the last few years that people are real like you know the interference mm. of, of Facebook in the American elections and mm. the proliferation of fake news now people are like oh social media yes it, <laughs> it is worthy of study but can you tell me more about what you know about social media in the Middle East so the you know the the Middle East and North African region is huge and diverse. And even, you know, one country, Saudi Arabia, is the size of Western Europe. So, you know, there's the, the, the Levant countries, and then there yeah. is the Gulf. And each country is, is unique and, and very, very different. But there are some similarities and we you know can say that islam mm. is the dominant religion um, across these countries but it's not the only religion and arabic um, would be the the standard language so we can mm. see patterns and i've i've studied influencers women influencers from egypt um, i've spent a lot of time looking at saudi arabian yeah influences and, and that that is a, a fascinating region i've looked a lot mm -hmm. at the uae and the other thing is because you know the middle east mm -hmm. is such a volatile region um politically in terms of conflicts um there are many say people in the uae who are who are arabs from other countries so there mm -hmm. is yeah this multiculturalism so in terms of social media um, we can see some certain trends um, and, you know, historically, many women in the Middle East, for example, wear the veil. And, mm -hmm. and that probably started only in, in 1979 mm -hmm. after the Iranian um, revolution and the, the, the Islamic awakening movement started to take hold. And, you know, the, the, the perception of the veil 
in, you know, in the Middle East is very different to the perception of the veil in Europe. There are certain affordances that women can mm-hmm. gain through wearing a veil. It's a sign of respectability. So for middle class women, it enables them to mm-hmm. work outside of the home, maybe for more um, elite Arab women, they, they, there might not be the same pressure on mm. them to wear it. And there's not always a pressure. So for many mm. women, it's mm. their own choice to wear it. But how is then this, these kind of like social cultural gendered practices uh, then translated into the visual economy that, that you describe Instagram as? Yeah, so, so the idea of the visual economy is Sarah Bannett Pfizer's concept and she wrote a book called empowerment talking about women's popular culture and she talks about the visible economy and you know i guess most most people are trying to survive economically and mm-hmm. they and the, the way that they behave the way the things mm-hmm. that they wear and the way they show themselves on social media will be geared to the particular visual economy that they're they're situated in. So just as a young woman here in in Dubai, if she were to come to university, she she would wear a veil and she is going to take those veiled affordances and transfer them online. So whereas Mm. young girls or boys in Western contexts might show pictures of themselves at the beach, you know, it's very unlikely that an Arab girl would do that it it would be it would be considered highly inappropriate so for this study uh you as you're like a core you have five influencers in uh, the arabic social media sphere what do you know about them yeah so i've, I've been studying each of them for um several years mm-hmm. and um, initially they were brought to my attention through my students in this study, I wanted a range of influencers from different places in Mina. Mm-hmm. I looked at Shahad Al-Jaba, mm-hmm. um, who's based in Kuwait. And I, I came across her because there were a few magazine articles, um, you know, saying, look at this, this woman. She's got pet. Um, she's got pet, you know, cheetahs. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was just... A, a kind of another, another orientalist article mm. saying that that you know it was quite derogatory, mm. and it it was a kind of stereotype. So I was interested first of all in looking at um, um, Shahad Al Al Jabba because of this view, and I think from being here, you know, when I started to speak to students and and get their perspective of what they thought was going on, it was something different and. So I thought with with um, this um, Shahad Al Jabbar, it was interesting first of all that she is not wearing a veil. Mm-hmm. Um, her name, I mean, I think she's probably from quite an elite family. Mm-hmm. From speaking to my students, they they felt that she's um, kind of asserting her agency as a an autonomous person, mm-hmm. and so that's why she's there with her 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 pet cheetahs yeah. and. I mean, from an animal rights point of view, um, it's it's highly problematic. Yeah. Um, but I think the meanings are different mm-hmm. in in the context mm-hmm. exactly. of, of Kuwait. And then you have uh, three more from from different uh, uh, areas. Yeah, there's 
there's Akudis, and Akudis rarely shows her face. And if if she ever does, she'll have a like a big pair of sunglasses, and her face will be distorted. And most of her, so in the article, there's an image of her clutching a white dove hmm. with her long kind of French manicured nails and everything you see is a, a kind of symbol of luxury and um she's constantly you know surrounded by chandeliers and diamonds and, and jewels but there's also a, a kind of strong fantasy element to her instagram so in some posts she's dressed as a kind of secret agent it's kind of like a, a, an adult woman's version of of dress up mm -hmm in some in some respects so although she doesn't show her face that wouldn't be considered unusual here and and there'll be many many you know young women who will never mm -hmm. show their face online they would use avatars or they'll use um, these kind of images where their faces are distorted but it's not at all considered like a deficit it's not like they're missing out mm -hmm. they profile themselves through other things than 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 their face yeah yeah and I, and you know so my background is is semiotics mm -hmm. so we can see that all of these symbols and in and you know indexical signs point towards a particular meaning so yeah avocado toast yeah you know that that's an index of a particular lifestyle maybe a millennial mm -hmm. lifestyle if you want to kind of generalize broadly yeah. so when when akudis shows this image of her her hands clutching a dove mm -hmm. like you know there are different meanings that, that represent different aspects of her subjectivity and her her age so a cup of coffee can have a certain yeah. meaning uh, and I was just amazed by the amount of Instagram posts that you collected over a period of four years. Did I read right when it says almost 25,000 posts that you have collected? Yeah, and you know, I mean, it, 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 it sounds a lot, but once yeah. you, each influencer posts thousands and yeah. thousands of images and so um, obviously I was following them directly on the app and I also had a corpus. So mm -hmm. I set up a digital corpus and I used Pathbright. And um, we also used with my um, research assistants, Google, Google Docs. And then I had my own students doing their projects. So I'm not a quantitative scholar and I'm not interested so much in, I, I think that, that obviously num numbers and, and are useful for certain studies, but for, for my interest in the kind of semiotic meanings, you know, that that's just a number, that's just a adding up the different amount of posts that each of these women has posted. So I would like to ask you more about this analysis. Can you explain more what a semiotic analysis is? Yeah, I mean, I had my, my framework and you know, maybe I can say a bit about that. So when I first started my PhD, I got um, very much into cultural mm -hmm. historical activity theory, which is uh, it, it's coming out of um, Soviet Russia, and it's people that the the main researchers were, were Vygotsky 
and Leontioff and, and Luria, they um, were interested in, in tools, mm. how human beings use tools as part of the extended mind. So I had that background and I read a lot of work by um, Yurio Engerstrom, uh -huh. who writes a lot on cultural historical activity theory. And through him, I came across this American philosopher, uh -huh. Mark Swartowski. So he, in 1979, wrote extensively right. about artifacts. And so by an artifact, it's a, a tool that a, um, a human being uses um, to, to help them cope with their environment. And, you know, it's part of the kind of extended mind. So um, like a really simple example of coming from the, the cultural historical activity people, Vygotsky would say that in the old days, you might have a handkerchief mm -hmm. and you would tie a knot in it to remind yourself to do something. So right. it's kind of part of the extended mind. And so, but Wartowski broke it down um, in terms of primary, secondary, and tertiary artifacts. So, a, a primary artifact is a like an axe, and then a um, so just something that you a basic tool that you yeah. use to complete a task, and then a um, a secondary artifact might be something like a, a language mm -hmm. or an alphabet or a numeric system. And then at the tertiary level, a tertiary artifact could be a virtual world or a whole genre of art or, you know, um, a whole uh, media. And that incorporates primary and secondary functions. But, it, but it, you know, the use of tertiary artifacts for human beings is that it can, we can transcend our immediate environment. So that's where the imagination comes in. All these posts that you had this extensive material, how did you then uh, dive into this? Uh, it's It's been a very long process. Yeah, yeah. So I think coming from the semiotic background, which I don't go into in this article, but the method that I used was that semiotics is not just um, linguistic and cultural. There are signs yeah. that have meaning that are all around us mm -hmm. and it goes beyond human language. Mm -hmm. So um, I, Wartowski's idea of the artifacts, mm -hmm. that was fundamental to my method. So my method looks at so the primary factors. So in each post, what mm -hmm. what could I see? What mm -hmm. what were the elements? Mm -hmm. What were the um, colors? What were the the what were the the possessions? Mm -hmm. What was the woman, the influencer, actually doing? Mm -hmm. So I could make a note in each one of of those elements. Then in terms of the secondary level meanings, so um, at you know, secondary level, an artifact is the routines, like a language or an alphabet, mm -hmm. and understanding each post in terms of the contextual routines of the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whereas um, somebody might post a, a selfie in a Western context, 
Um, perhaps they might be using that selfie for a dating app, yeah. for example. But somebody else, perhaps an Arab woman in another context, she might be using that selfie and she might be imagining that her only followers are her, her female friends. Hmm. So to understand the post at secondary levels, we had to think about context exactly. without trying to be too stereotypical. Then at the at the tertiary level, um, it was that the meanings of of each post are not necessarily um, grounded in in a lived reality. That there was an imaginative um, mm. realm, and it could be aspirational. Um, it could be um, escapism, but those acts were important. And the idea of this, the post digital is that you know what happens online is as significant as what happens yeah. offline and what happens in people's minds um you know it might not be observable but you can interpret it through this this framework right right uh, no and thank you for explaining this it's it's it like uh, makes sense um after looking at each post through these levels you some kind of like picture emerged like what can you tell about these influencers and their lives what i really wanted to come through was the diversity of different women behaving in mm -hmm. in in different ways to, to not try to kind of pigeonhole them and to kind of convey to the reader that just because a woman wears a veil doesn't mean that she's identical mm -hmm. to another woman mm -hmm. who wears a veil um, but I also see Instagram as a, an important and, and, and TikTok and, and probably Snapchat as well as one of the, the key mm. political platforms for women mm. in the Middle East um, to have a voice. And, um, you know, I, I would say that Middle Eastern women influencers are using Instagram and their social media to um, champion mm -hmm. certain causes. So, um, you know, things like Black Lives Matter um, is something that a number of mm -hmm. Arab women influencers um, mm -hmm. had conversations about. A number of them use Instagram to talk about environmentalism, to, mm -hmm. to raise awareness about poverty. And now, um, considering mm -hmm. what's going on in Palestine, a number of influencers um, do talk mm -hmm. about these issues and yeah it, I, I would say more so than western female influencers mm. so and I think you know traditionally women in the Middle East um, were excluded from public life and they were excluded from traditional media but that has very much changed now young women who are influencers who are selling beauty products and services actually are quite political as well. Commenting on that, you also write that these influencers have uh, limited conceptual tools for identity construction. Uh, what do you mean by that? You know, I've also interviewed a, a number of mm -hmm. Arab women who do identify as feminists, as feminist academics. And I think like many women in Western contexts as well, young women mm. do not necessarily have the vocabulary to imagine their lives beyond mm. a, a commercialized realm. So, 
you know, people like Lauren Berlant mm. writes about cruel optimism and suggests that, you know, all of us are just mm. trying to survive and get by in our daily lives. So I think that the, that lots of these women influencers, that they, they haven't mm. necessarily studied feminism. There isn't a coherent feminist movement in the Middle East. Right. There are individual activists. And I think that, you know, because of the, the, the history of Western liberal feminism, mm. trying to define, mm. you know, what feminism should be universally, that there, there's some, you know, it's not a grassroots feminist movement here, but that doesn't mean that women aren't, you know, concerned about um, their empowerment, but they don't necessarily have um, an enlightenment tradition of Western liberal feminism. Mm. And I think, I think it's also connected with, with post-colonialism. Yeah. There are so many issues that, that, you know, for these quite young countries to work on, um, you know, perhaps, you know, fem feminism might be yeah. seen for some women as, as divisive. So that they want mm -hmm. to put their efforts into developing their country. People are very kind of nationalistic and, mm -hmm. and very loyal to their to their countries, to mm -hmm. their to their brothers, to their fathers, their husbands. So I think like in the West, um, feminism is uh, is problematic for many people. But but when when you had these um, interviews with these feministic scholars in the MENA region, and they were talking about that these influencers are possibly like um, lacking some vocabulary. Are they then talking about that they aren't informed by a Western feministic perspective? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, like in, in a lot of countries, there'll mm -hmm. be a gap, I think, between older and younger women. And so the, the, mm -hmm. the feminist academics that I, that I spoke to, um, they were not really interested mm -hmm. in research into um, social media. So um, some of them would have definitely um, researched um, women's identities pre-Islam and, and, and during Islam. And there are certain issues, but, you know, um, social media scholarship, there are not that many people writing about um, Arab women's feminism on social media. And I think that, you know, I don't even know yeah. whether any of the images in, in, in that article, any of those influencers yeah. would identify necessarily as feminists. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, but I'm taking a feminist approach because as a feminist, mm -hmm. it, it's not a lens. It's not, you know, just a yeah. hat that mm -hmm. I'm putting on. Like everything that I mm -hmm. study, I will be asking like feminist questions. And that's what I was trying to do. And but I definitely think that you can give what they're doing on social media a feminist reading be because they're exhibiting um, agency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and what would you say about that then? Uh, in uh, what forms does this agency come? So obviously they're they're influencers. So they're monetizing mm. their content. They are make making substantial. Yeah. Um, revenues so people like Huda Katan you know this has has literally millions of followers and she is has her own makeup line um, and but then she also does a lot for charity so as a, a basically a makeup artist she's made a career 
through Instagram, through doing beauty mm. tutorials. But now because she has this um, fame, she's able to mm. use her platform to talk about political issues. Like I mentioned, you know, she yeah. talks about Palestine. She talks about poverty. She talks about mm. Black Lives Matter. So I think that, you know, um, the reach that social media gives these influencers is first of all, being able to earn a living. Second, they can become visible, visible entities in the visible economy. There are, there are eyes on them. That gives them a voice. Hmm. You then also turn your thoughts on the users that are following these influencers. What, what, what's your take on how these influencers are crucial or what their meaning is for the women following them? I think, you know, the, the, the fact that um, these women have, have a voice and a public presence It means that they're role models for young women here mm. and it makes them feel like they can also have a voice that, yeah. that things that they value um, are important and I, I guess that it's it's centering female culture mm. and um, you know it's making that can you know it's representing that as something that's worthwhile mm. in all of these images the women are all on their own I think they're all on their own. So, you know, women can, um, yeah, stand on their own feet, on their own two feet. I mean, again, I think it, I think that this kind of individualized femininity is, mm. is quite problematic, but I think it, it's serving that process, you know, um, as it is in every other capitalist culture that, you know, brands sell us things by, kind of celebrating the cult of the individual. Mm. Yeah, but you're not so uh, hopeful anyway with this empowerment because you also talk about disempowerment. So I guess that disempowerment is is not having agency and disempowerment is not having opportunities to live outside of a commercialized realm, mm. in, in, in my opinion, mm. that I think this, the post- feminist idea that women can be empowered or any any individual can be empowered by buying an expensive car mm. it's it's a it's an empty promise mm. um, and it's going well definitely um corporations are going to be um getting rich i i don't think it will be like helping human human flourishing for those for the individuals yeah right because this empowerment is anyway like done on this capitalistic platforms yeah absolutely and i and, and we know that we are we buy things because we are insecure mm. we are afraid and we 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 believe that through buying you know a designer handbag mm. or a, a a pair of designer sunglasses that will that will be a symbol of our status and and prestige so where would you say that the Arab female movement is going? I don't even know whether there is an Arab female movement. I wouldn't say that there is is something so organized as a as a, a distinct movement, particularly because the, you know the Arab region is so diverse. Mm. And you know, a woman's life in Saudi Arabia is totally different 
to a woman's life in Lebanon or Yemen. So, but I think in the Gulf, um, definitely there is a big, there's been a big investment in women's education. Mm -hmm. And um, we can see as well in, in, in Saudi Arabia, in Qatar, that it is a government policy to get more women educated and into the workforce. So with, you know, um, we're going to be moving beyond oil and gas economies. And all of these countries are going to have to, you know, change mm. their infrastructures. Mm. So it, involving women in, in, the, in national development has to be a key objective of each and every one of these countries. And, and I guess that each government is trying to define and shape it. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, um, there are more women in the Middle East. And so say, for example, in the United Arab Emirates, there are more women who have broken through the glass ceiling than women in America mm. or women in England. Mm. Because women are being educated, because women are um, represented at governmental levels, yeah. um, that, that things are changing. And, and it will be harder and possible to go back. Yeah. You never, yeah, you never know. <laughs> so uh, lastly, I wanted to ask what, uh, having a little bit of perspective now on this whole project, it was recently published, but uh, like you, I'm sure you uh, finished it up already last year uh, because the process of publication is so long. But what uh, has stuck with you? I, I think the main contribution is just, hopefully making people more aware that um that that social media is so varied and that arab women themselves are not monolithic mm. and arab women are not victims mm. and they they have agency and autonomy and they do not view themselves in terms of a deficit and you know if i if I were to speak to my students and say that, you know, there are all these um, people in the West who want to unveil you and liberate you, they, they would just be completely baffled. Yeah. And <laughs> um, I, I think that the, the Western universalism mm. is hugely problematic in Western academia. And it really is the Achilles heel yeah. of, of so much research that, that I read. And I think even in Western countries, you know, in, you know, where you are in, in, in Helsinki, where in London, where I, I come from, there are multiple belongings. And so the, the sort of Western heteronormative universal perspective mm. is, is a, a big problem for Western philosophy, I would say. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. You've been listening to Keywords, a podcast about research that's out there but doesn't get enough attention. If you have research that should be featured on my podcast, please reach out to me on Twitter at Rasmus Kulonen or send me mail to rasmus.kulonen at helsinki.fi.
Thank you for listening.